Amen. Please stay standing. We're going to read God's word together from Psalm 125. If you've got that in your Bibles, that's great. If you've got it on your phone, that's good. We would love for you to open up the word with us this morning and see the words on the page for yourself. Um, if you don't have one already, we also have some journals in the back that we have for this series that we're going through. Um, you're welcome to get up and get one of those um, at any time during the service, you, if you'd like to. Um, they're, they're in the Psalms of Ascent that we're walking through, um, Psalms 120 through Psalm 134. So Quinn, our brother's going to read the word for us, Psalm 125. Test, test. There we go. Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but, but, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside uh, to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Amen. This is God's word. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Father, thank you so much um, for your word. Um, it is, Father, what we believe. Father, we believe it is your word and no one else's. And because of that, Father, we trust it. We depend on it and we live by it, and we praise you for, for what you've given us in it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. All right, thank you, church. You can be seated. Thanks for standing while we read that uh, this morning. Um, hey, if you are new with us um, this morning, we've been walking through um, a series um, that we're calling Summer in the Psalms, um, and we're walking through the Psalms of Ascent. Um, like what, what I said just a second ago, it's Psalms 120 through 134, and this week, um, in Psalm 125, we're picking up this series again. Um, Pastor Nathan has encouraged us um, every week um, to, be, to be focusing on these psalms through three lenses. Do you remember what those lenses are? They're in that journal in the front, if you can't remember. I'm, just, I'm curious. Does anybody remember what any of those lenses are? Christ-centered, covenant-centered. One more C. Christ-centered, covenantal-centered, and the character of God. Yeah. Hey, Sean, I'll give you two points out of three. Nobody else got that. So that's great. That's great. A Christ-centered lens, a covenantal lens, and through the lens of the character of God. And by God's grace, that's what we'll see um, this morning. We'll see through those lenses what God has to say to us in his word. Um, the past couple Psalms um, have, have kind of, I feel, been leading up to, actually all of them have. It's kind of like they're ascending to something, you know, like the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, but Psalm 123, think about this. Psalm 123 is God's people crying out to him for deliverance from contempt. Do you remember that one? We've had enough of contempt, O Lord. We've had enough of it. And then Psalm 124 is a remembrance and thankfulness of who God is and what he has done for his people. Remember that? We talked about that last week. So we've got God's people crying out for deliverance from contempt. And in 124, we've got a thanksgiving and a remembrance of who God is and who he is to his people. So what, in Psalm 125, I believe what we're going to look at this morning is, is a declaration of confidence in who God is and how he loves and surrounds his people. We've had enough of contempt. 
But Father, we remember who you are. So now we are confident in who you are and how you surround your people. So we're gonna read that. We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna study that this morning as we go through Psalm 125. So there's three things that I want us to take away. All right, there's three things. I want you to write these down if you've got it, and then you can take a nap if you'd like to, um, or you can listen up. But here, right here, Psalm 125. I want us to look at three things, and that is that the Lord establishes his people, that the Lord surrounds his people, and that the Lord rules over his people. Um, before we jump into that, I think there's something foundational that we see in the psalm that we can't miss, and that's in the first verse. Um, verse one starts out with this phrase, those who trust in the Lord. Those who trust in the Lord. Hey, church, this is a psalm about God and for those who trust in him. It's primarily about God, but it's for those who trust in him. Those who trust in the Lord, this is God's people, those who have trusted and continue to trust in him and who he is. So let's dive in. So the first thing that we see about the Lord and his people is that the Lord establishes his people. Verse one, let's read it again. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Verse one says that, that God's people, those who trust in him are like a, are like a mountain, are like Mount Zion. And, and my understanding of this reference is, is somewhat limited. And I tell you that, David and I were talking about this this morning. He said, he said ever since I, I knew we were going to the Psalm, I started trying to research what Mount Zion, he's like, there's just, there's a lot to it. And a lot that we really can't know without being a part of God's people back then. But we can glean from scripture and from history what Mount Zion was and what it is. My understanding of this, though, is, is somewhat limited. But the people of God that were reading this in this time of ascending to Jerusalem, they would have had, they, and they would have understood the significance of this symbolism very, very well. Mount Zion was, was the highest, the highest and strongest point in all of Jerusalem. It's, it's a mountain that stands as an image of God's immovable holy city that the great King David set up. It's where the king resided and it was guarded by Mount Zion. This is a strong place. Hey, in Psalm 48, one through three, you can turn there if you want. I'm gonna read it real quick. Psalm 48, one through three, the psalmist says this about this mountain. He says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. That's pretty amazing, right? What a, what a cool description that this, this psalm writer in Psalm, in psalm 48 is, is referring to as this beautiful city, this stronghold, this place where the king resides and where God has made himself known. That's Mount Zion. Hey, later in the book of Hebrews, later on after, long after uh, this, these Psalms were written, the, the writer of Hebrews um, calls, the place, calls this place the place where God's people and the living God abides. Not just back then, but now. So we know that he's not actually referring to the Mount Zion. He's actually talking about a place that's eternal, a place where God abides forever, where the living God abides and where his people abide with him. This is Mount Zion. Hey, this is a picture of those who trust in the Lord. And it's not simply meant to be seen as a piece of rock that sits on a piece of dirt. 
at high elevation. It's not just a, a, a mountain, just not, not just something that you'd look at. This is, this is a mountain that's set apart. It's a holy place. It's beautiful and it's everlasting. What the psalmist is saying is that the Lord establishes his people and church, his people cannot be moved. His people cannot be moved. They stand strong, lasting, unwavering, sure, and steadfast. The people of God are a people of confidence. They're a people of peace and steadiness. In the church said, yeah, we are, right? Do you believe that, church? Hey, I mean, that, when, when I read that, hey, I'm a mountain, does that not get you fired up? Like God refers to his people as a mountain, Mount Zion, this strong, steady people who are not moved. Does that, does that psych you up a little bit? It should, I believe it should, right? It should get you excited. It makes me wanna just like take on a, anything strong. I don't know, I don't have a good example. It makes me wanna take on anything because I know that, that I'm a mountain, right? But before we get a big head about it, and maybe, maybe that's just me, before we get a big head about it and pat ourselves on the back for, for being such a, such a faithful people, such a strong people, we should ask, why are the people of God described in this way? Why? Why is it that the psalmist says that? And I hope for, the, for those of us who are Christians, it's, it's actually an easy answer. We don't actually have to ask that question. But the answer is, it's because the Lord, the one true God who made the heaven and the earth, who, who is not moved, who does not change, who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, is the one who establishes his people. This is why. The primary focus and the primary purpose of what is being said here is not a focus on being like a mountain, although it's a pretty amazing picture. The focus is on trusting the one who made the mountain. It's the one who made the mountain. He is the one who is immovable. He is the one who is eternal. And only by trusting him can we be a people established by, or like Mount Zion. I think we'd be pretty foolish to look at this passage and only see, oh, wow, we're, we're great. We're great like Mount Zion. God says that about us. If we don't focus and fully lean, church, if we don't focus and fully lean into the establisher of the mountain, then we have completely missed the truth being conveyed here. Trusting in the Lord, putting our faith in him should never produce pride within us. It should never produce pride within our hearts. What it should produce is humility. It should produce thankfulness. It should produce a further reliance on the Lord in whom we trust, right? The fact that God is the one who establishes us should create, should create in us a heart of thankfulness and humility. It should cause us, Christians, to cling to Jesus, who in Hebrews 12 is referred to as the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the one who has established his people. He is the one who perfects our, our faith, not ourselves. Our works are not what cause us to be stronger. Our works are not what cause us to be unmoved by doubts and fears and trials and our enemies attacking. In fact, without the Lord, we would be swallowed up and swept, swept away when evil rises up against us, right? Psalm 124 says that if it were not for the Lord, we would have been swept away. We would have been swallowed up. 
It's the Lord who keeps us. It's the Lord who establishes us, not our own doing. Without the Lord, church, I'm not a strong mountain. We are not a strong mountain. If at at most we're a dead weed lying on the ground. But the Lord establishes his people. Therefore, they are like Mount Zion. Hey, if it were left up to us to meet the standards of becoming God's people, we would fall very short. And, 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 And because of that, because of our establisher, we are established and unmoved, not by, our un, uh, not by our own doing, but by the grace of God that he shows us. It is only by his grace that we are established. I love this. This, this psalmist takes it a step further, not just, not just a mountain. He doesn't refer to us just like a mountain, but he goes on and he, and he talks about that mountain. He takes it a step further when he says that those who trust in the Lord are, are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but what? Abides forever. Hey, remaining one of God's own doesn't even depend upon our own works, but is the unfailing, faithful, covenantal work and character of God that establishes his people and keeps them, causing them to abide in him forever. Charles Spurgeon, um, we refer to Charles Spurgeon a lot around here. We like what he says about the Psalms. He's got a great commentary called The The Treasury of David. You should look it up sometime. Um, But Charles Spurgeon says this, and we'll have it up on the screen for you. I think, yep, there it is. He said this, he said, Zion cannot be removed and does not remove. So the people of God can neither be moved passively nor actively by force from without or fickleness from within. Faith in God is a settling and establishing virtue. He who by his strength setteth fast the mountains, by that same power, stays the heart of them that trust in him. Faith in God is what keeps us because he is the one who has established us and he is the one who causes us to abide forever. It is God who establishes his people and it is God who makes them to abide forever as his people in him. So first, the Lord establishes his people. Got it? He establishes his people. Second, you ready, church? The Lord surrounds his people. Oh man, this is good. Read verse two with me. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. Hey, verse one shows us that God makes his people immovable like a mountain. And in verse two, he sets up guard around them. He establishes them, and then he sets up a guard around them. It's in the very character of God to be present and surrounding his people. This is who God is. It's, he's, he's never leaving. He's always present with his people. It's because he is a covenant-keeping God that he surrounds his people with protection. Nothing, hey, church, nothing comes close to God's people without him knowing about it first. Nothing passes through his mountains and comes into the city of God and his people without him knowing about it first. He is always on guard. Our God who never sleeps and never slumbers is always on guard around his people. The psalmist uses the example of mountains surrounding Jerusalem to depict how the Lord surrounds his people. Hey, Oklahoma church people, that's a a tough one, right? 
Chris Schoenig knows mountains. Katie Schoenig knows mountains, right? They're mountain people. They're not mountain people. I mean, they don't eat like, well, Chris may eat some crazy stuff, but, but they know mountains. They know what this looks like. Hey, we're not used to mountains around here. We got Mount Scott, which I think barely meets the criteria for a mountain, right? We don't, we don't have a good idea of what all this means from our own experience here in Oklahoma. But from what, I told, from what, I've told, from what I'm told, the city of Jerusalem was, was surrounded by these hills and mountains. It sits at a high elevation, but even at its high elevation, it's surrounded by these great mountains. Some say David chose Jerusalem to be this capital, the, the, the place where the king rests, the place where the, where the king sits because of its strategic um, vantage point of protection. This is very strategic. Hey, how, ma- how many of us, let me ask you, how many of us are concerned about safety and protection? Yeah, you, you don't even have to raise your hand. I think most of us are. Yeah, a lot of us probably have alarm systems at our house. Hey, the mountains of Jerusalem, when you, when you compare them up to my dinky little alarm system at home, my dinky little alarm system holds no light to what kind of fortress this is surrounding Jerusalem from what I've studied and what I've seen. This surrounds Jerusalem and, and, and Jerusalem was surrounded and kept by these, by these hills and these mountains. This is the picture we get of God surrounding his people. He surrounds them like mountains surround Jerusalem and protects his people. And as the people of God, as the people of God, knowing that the sovereign Lord, the creator of the universe, stands on guard day and night, not slumbering, not sleeping, should give us what? Peace. Man, that should give us great peace knowing that nothing passes through the hills without him knowing, knowing that he always stands on guard around us. He establishes us and he surrounds us, should create, should create in, in us this overwhelming and great peace within us. There's an example that, that comes to mind when I think about this. Um, Psalm 3, if it's just a few pages over. If you wanna turn there, put your thumb at Psalm 125 and, and turn over to Psalm 3 real quick. Psalm 3 is a psalm of David. And if some, of, some of y'all's headings may say this at the top. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Starts out like this. O oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me. My glory, the lifter of my head, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. Catch this. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves up, who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you Strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Do you see the kind of peace that David has? Can I tell you, this is, this is a time where David's running for his life because his own son is out to kill him. And he's hiding. 
And he calls out to the Lord. And what happens next? In verse five, I lay down and slept. I lay down and slept and I woke again because the Lord sustained me. Let me tell you something. If someone's out for my life, it's gonna be awful hard to sleep. Some of you may feel like people are out for your life in one way or another and you lose sleep over it, right? What kind of peace is this? It's the shield of the Lord. It's knowing that David belongs to the Lord and he is kept and he is surrounded by him. This kind of peace that comes from the surrounding presence of God. David knows there are enemies out for his life. He's definitely in danger, but he knows it's the Lord who sustains him. Hey, here's what I believe David knew. And I believe it's what the psalmist in Psalm 125 knew. I believe what the people of God knew, even though enemies and trials and sufferings will come, people of God, even though they will come, our God is eternally surrounding us and our soul is kept for eternity. It's the assurance, it's the kind of assurance that Paul had when he said to live as Christ and to die as gain. Do you know what I'm talking about? To live as Christ and to die as gain. Now that's, that's not to say that that God doesn't care about our fear of what might come tomorrow or the unknown, right? He cares for us. What, what might be on the other side of the mountains that we don't know about that's coming. That can create anxiety. That can create fear in our own lives, right? Not knowing what's right around the corner or on the other side of the hill or the mountain. The Lord cares for us in this. He cares for us, he surrounds us, and he keeps us in the unknown of tomorrow. He cares about all of our fears and anxieties. Hey, we're, we're turning some more to this morning. Hey, Philippians 4, chapter, yeah, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. I've got it bookmarked, so I'm already there. If someone gets there, whoever gets there first, someone read that. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Church, God desires that you bring your anxieties and fears to him. Bring them to him in prayer. He wants you to come to him with these things. And his promise is to what? To guard our hearts and our minds with his peace. And who? in Christ Jesus. That's right. He cares for us now in our current circumstances and in the assurance that we have in Christ. He cares about us right now and what we're feeling and in our fears and our anxieties. But God's surrounding presence and protection is not actually limited to those. Hey, in the moment, it feels like that's impending doom, right? right? Right at that moment, when those fears and anxieties keep you up at night, feels like there's nothing else that matters. 
And God cares about those, but God's presence and his surrounding protection is not limited to our current circumstances. It goes far beyond that. It's not limited to tomorrow. It's not limited for the year. It's not limited to the next 10 years. Can I tell you this? It's not even limited by the grave. The surrounding presence of God is not limited by the grave. What does verse two say here? It says, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. From this time forth and forevermore. Hey, that means eternity. Do you have any Shark Tank friends out there? TV Shark Tank? I know, I know the Bradleys love the Shark Tank. Hey, church, that means in perpetuity. <laughs> you catch that? It has no end. God's surrounding protection for his people is eternal, never-ending, in perpetuity. Always and forever there because of who he is. And for the people of God back then and for the people of God now, the forevermore guarding of our souls is through the paid and full sacrifice of Jesus. He is the one that gives us peace. Jesus is the one who gives us peace. He is the one in whom we rest and have full assurance for eternity because we've put our faith in him. The Lord surrounds his people. Lastly, this. The Lord rules over his people. Verse three, for the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Hey, something that might go without saying, but we're gonna say it anyway. It most certainly has to be said is that while we're established by the Lord as his people, we certainly are, and while the Lord surrounds his people like mountains, like great hills, while all that is happening, the enemy we face in this world will still attack. Again, I don't think that's something that has to be said, but we are gonna say it because we, we know it, right? We experience that. The enemy in this world still attacks in our lives, we'll, we'll still face terrible sorrow. We still face trials. We still face temptation. And we still face persecution. There will be persecution for the people of God. But the promise in reality is that the scepter of wickedness will not rest on the righteous people of God. Can I say that again? Hey, church, the scepter of wickedness will not rest on the people of God. God will not allow it to rest where his people reside because he will not let them be ruled by the evil in their own hearts again. God cares for us and loves us and keeps us and sustains us in a way that wickedness will never rest on us again. There will be things that attack us, but it will not rest on us. Hey, the Psalm says, Psalm says this, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Did you catch that? The scepter of wickedness won't won't rest on the people of God lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Hey, this is just straight up evidence, I believe. This is straight up evidence of the grace of God in our lives. The grace of God in our lives. God knows that if it were not for him establishing his people, if we're not him protecting us, 
and ruling in us that we would turn back to our ways, our old evil ways, in a heartbeat. It's the grace of God that doesn't allow that to happen. It's only by God's grace that we're not overrun by wickedness too great for us to bear. That even though there are attacks, it will not rest. He doesn't allow it to rest on us. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God does not leave us. He doesn't forsake us. And in the temptations, in the trials, because he loves us, because his grace is so overwhelming and powerful, he will not let it rest on us too much to bear. But he does provide a way out through his son and through his Holy Spirit in us. This is the good, good news that we need and that we, as the people of God, see the reality of, amen? So while God surrounds his people with a protection from impending wickedness on the outside from coming in, he also rules over them and in them to keep them from returning to their own wickedness. And the amazing gospel that we see in this is that he's ultimately done this through his son, Jesus. Jesus, the one that we talked about, the, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who has established us, Jesus has defeated sin and Satan. Jesus has crushed the head of the serpent. I love that reference. He's crushed the head of the serpent, keeping the promise that was, was told to us that wickedness would not prevail, that wickedness would not rest. He is the king and Lord that rules over his people, protecting them from evil. And we are ruled by a reigning savior who defeated the one holding the scepter of wickedness so that we would not be overcome by our own desires to do wrong. And the scepter of wickedness will not rest on the land allotted to the righteous people of God. So the Lord establishes us, his people. The Lord surrounds his people. And the Lord rules over his people. Now that's three points. We got two more verses though. So I want us to take a, a real quick look, church, just a real quick look at these next two verses. <clears throat> and what this confidence and assurance in the Lord caused the people of God to do. You ready? What is this confidence and assurance of being God's people and established in him and is surrounded by him and ruled over by him? What, is this, what should this cause us to do? Well, first we see this. We see in, in verse four, there's this intercessory prayer for the people of God that the psalmist reads out here. In light of who God is to his people, the psalmist calls upon the covenantal God who has made them righteous or good. And he calls upon him to do good for his people. He asked the Lord to continue keeping his good covenant and providing and protecting and keeping his people. And in that, in that, the psalmist is showing his total reliance in God to keep his covenant. Because he trusts in the Lord, he knows that God will continue to provide. It wasn't just a once trusting, he continues to trust that the Lord will take care of his people. What this prayer is, is a continued reliance on the Lord to be who he is. And the psalmist knows that, the, that, that this God whom, in whom he trusts 
will continue to be who he is because of what he has done and who he is in his character. God is a covenant-keeping God. God's character does not leave. That's not in his character, but he sticks around. And the psalmist is saying, Lord, do good. Please continue to do good to your people. And in that trusting and saying, I have no other option but to trust in you. You will continue to care for us. And so we pray for this. And it's an intercessory prayer. Did you catch that? Lord, please do good for all your people. Please do good to us because we trust in you. You are our only hope in this. Please continue this. And then in verse five, we see this. We see a trusting in God's justice. There's a, there's a truth here that those who refuse God and turn away to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. This is the truth about who God is. God is a just God who cannot allow evil within this kingdom and among his people. For those who have not put their trust in the Lord and turn away to their own crooked ways, verses one through three do not provide confidence. They do not provide assurance. They don't provide peace or protection. Their eternity is not kept. Nathan hit on this last week, but it's, it's worth saying again. God is just, we know that. His word says that over and over again. God is just, that's in his character. But God's most natural disposition is to show mercy and grace to those who will trust in him. He desires, overwhelmingly desires to show his mercy and grace. He must be just, but he desires to show mercy and grace. So while this is, a, I think this is a statement of God's just nature and his character, I believe it's also this. It's a plea and a warning. It's a plea that for those who have not put their trust in the Lord to do that. Because if not, the impending judgment for those who are evildoers, who are not kept in Jesus because of his sacrifice, is eternal separation from God. Is, a, is, is, is an eternity in a place called hell. So God's just, but his mercy and his grace are more for those who will seek him. For those who trust in him, he is ready to show grace and mercy abundantly. And he will do that. He desires to do that. So it's a plea, trust in the Lord. And in that he will establish you he will make you part of his people. He'll establish you. He'll, he'll surround you. He'll rule over you. He'll sustain you. And it's in Jesus that we place our trust. Our faith is in him alone. It's because of him that we are his people. Amen? It's in him we trust and we continue to trust. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that, God, while we could do nothing, you did everything for us that grace that we receive is, is not something that we could have done on our own, but Father, it is a, it is a gift from you. So Father, we, while, we, while we stand in confidence, we, we know that there are those who have not trusted you. Father, that's, 
that's the charge you've given us as your church is to, to glorify you, to make disciples. God, to, to show others, to bring them into the people of God by your grace. And it's only by faith in you that they can do that. And so Father, we, we ask that you would break the hearts of those who have not trusted you. Father, we, we pray that you would create conviction. Father, we, we pray that you would open eyes to see that you are the only way, that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to you except through him, Father. Father, please save. Please give us the boldness to preach the gospel to those who have not trusted in you. And Father, I pray that people, in result of hearing your word, would put their faith in you and what your son has done for them. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.